This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, July 3rd, 2018. The views and opinions expressed herein are of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Welcome to The Sherman Show. Here we are kicking off season four. We decided that this time, instead of having an external special guest, uh, we'd make this another one of Talking Markets. And so I'm here with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today we have another guest from the asset allocation team, Jeff Mayberry, our first uh, three-time returning guest. Is that uh, a three-time winner or like three-time default guest, I guess? When we don't have anybody to go to, you seem like the go-to guy who's in the office. As I said, next to you, you're just like... (laughs) Point. Yeah, pull you off the desk and bring you here. Sorry that you're missing the, the football match today. So at least we got to see the good one this morning. So uh, we wanted to do this one instead of an outlook for the second half of the year, given that we had to take a little bit further horizons. Uh, we want to check in ourselves, talk about a mid-year roundup and how things we got right, got wrong, how the street did, and further uh, what it means for positioning today in markets. So no more introductions, no more cult of personality. This is all about markets. So Hopefully you find this entertaining today. So with that, Sam, why don't you uh, give us your introduction of Other Way Round Bro today? Yes, yes. Here we go. So it's perfect day, uh, second business day of the, or actually the first business day of the second half of 2018. So Sam works on Sundays, uh, unlike the rest of us. uh, I'm diligent. I'm diligent. So let's just go through the scoreboard and let's take a look at equities first and see how they've done. What I'm looking at here on my scoreboard is mostly red across the board with the exception of U.S. markets. This is, for the most part, U.S. dollar basis and local currency as well. Fixed income, again, I'm seeing a lot of red right here with the exception of perhaps some floating rate products and high yield. Commodities, energy is the low and holdout with regard to sectors within the, the commodity space. So on a broad basket basis, it looks like we're in the red as well there. So a lot of red. Let's figure out what's going on here and revisit some of the, the calls that we had from Double Line at the year begin, as well as from the street. It looks like in terms of the street side research, we had a lot of opinion around the fact that it was a late stages of bull market. You might see some corrections in the US market, but that during those times, people should be buying the dip. As far as the double line, we were fairly constructive on the US equities, at least, and we saw some value in EM and European markets, especially relative to the US. So where does that put us today? Yeah, so I think as a start off thinking about it, as we entered the year, we said that the biggest call of the year is to be getting rates correct. If you get the direction of rates, that's probably what drives risk assets this year. And unfortunately, that's been right uh, for those markets because you look across the fixed income markets, it's all about duration, right? So interest rate sensitivity, that is what drove that side. Some of the things we thought about there that were actually played out was that corporate bonds, for instance, could be very sensitive to some spread widening, which was not a consensus thought if rates move significantly. And we felt the pain in the first, what, five or six weeks of the year as rates really pushed up in a meaningful manner, found a new center of gravity. We tried to test those highs again in rates a few weeks back, but so far we kind of settled back in this trade range. So we looked directionless once again in the fixed 
fixed income market. But surprisingly, risk assets have not really corroborated that move, right? So after we've had that repricing, when I think about the equity market, uh, all the the fervor and excitement about the tax reform, it bled through the earnings. The good news is without stocks buying significantly on the back of that, is that now we've had a little bit of multiple compression this year. So at least the things that, you know, thinking about long term, probably a little bit better off in there. But uh, I think, Jeff, you and I were talking this morning about kind of new highs in the equity market and the uh, unsustainability or the lack of ability to really create a new high once again. So maybe you can uh, talk to the folks about what we were talking about in the markets, how you're doing some of the analysis on the drawdowns uh, from peaks. Yeah, I think I was reading on a prior podcast guest, uh, Jim Bianco's website, that typically in a bull market or a long-term bull market, you get the 10% correction you know, has been the frequent topic is, is buy the dip and you get that 10% correction as a good time to buy. But that have, when you get that bull market, you reach a new high in the market relatively quickly. So it's like an uptrend for the technical analysts out there, right? Higher highs, higher lows, right? And it's the, the, the tenor of that is usually pretty short before you set the new high. Yes. And t- so today we are still below that peak. We're four and a half percent below the peak from uh, January of 2018. And this is the second longest streak of not really getting to oh, the full-blown bear market, but not making a new high. The previous one was 1994, 1995. Well, Uh-oh, what, what, what those was years. happening there? <laughs> oh, those years, <laughs> right? right. That people so, like to talk about, right? So are we going to make a new record for the longest term in a bull market and still make a new high? Or are we kind of in the midst of a, of a bear market? And now is the time to, you know, this is the market's giving you an opportunity to sell out, reduce your risk, and, you know, maybe, you know, live to fight another day. Well, I think, uh, you know, what's different right now that we hadn't seen is, um, you know, the, the idea that I think, Sam, you always called it trade peace, but it looks like that peace is unsettling now. Maybe it's trade coup right now. It's at least <laughs> trade, no- trade noise, right? Yeah, right. There's a lot of noise around and, that. And what I mean by that is that now, you know, uh, previously, a lot of times this administration was talked very hardly, take a hardline stance, be very extreme, but there's really not a lot of follow through. And you've seen with this first dose of tariffs here in the U.S., and then the rhetoric around another dose of them, you started to see, even over the weekend, you had Canada come back and slap tariffs on U.S. product. It's starting to get some legitimacy. And I think there has been some unnerving behavior behind that. So uh, what do you guys think about when you think about trade wars and the implications for various markets? So uh, let's talk about the root causes, how it bleeds through some of those markets. And that could be some of the uncertainty you've seen in the equity market, at least as of late. Well, I think, isn't aren't the uh, trade, the tariffs supposed to be implemented July 6th. So by the time people are reading this, there may be a little bit more clarity on, on what's going on. So uh, do you, do you, do you read the transcripts right now, of this? Is that what you do? You don't listen to the audio? Hopefully you, you you're listening. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do both. Okay. <laughs> you can't Overach- read. <laughs> Overachiever, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so, I, so we'll know by, we'll we'll know we by the time know. this comes yes. out. So that will look foolish one way or the other. So let's speculate here. What do you think is the implications here? Well, I think every time that the trade rhetoric picks up, stocks fall, commodities fall. It doesn't seem to be too much of a correlation to rates, to interest rates, but it's certainly not good for the risk side of things uh, when the trade talk percolates every, uh, on a daily basis. And I think a lot of that's around the uncertainty, but it seems like right now, one thing that is starting to look a little bit more certain, and I think Jeff Sherman, I'll just refer to you guys by your last names here, Sherman, I think you alluded to is that the Trump playbook is starting to unravel a little bit here because people are starting to see through the a lot of the uh, the hype that he brings to the table, and then he seems to pull back. But this time around, it's you know China's already vowed that they're going to go tit for tat. I think is the is the new term for it. 
200 billion from us is uh, 200 billion in kind. So all, all in, I think it's going to be about 450 billion at, at risk for just China. But now it seems like the the well, U.S. and Trump rest versus the rest of the world. Now. Right. But why is it 450? I mean, that is our trade deficit with China. So, I mean, it, it's obvious that it's going out there. But the 50 billion, although it hurts, you know, uh, definitely there's more workers on the import business on steel that deal with the end product there than uh, actually produce steel. So even the first tariff that we created here is actually has a more negative overhang in the U.S. economy. So historically, when you target products, you tar- target the end product where this one has become targeting the inputs to products, right? So this actually turns into a, a really price inflationary type of behavior because it's not really the raw commodity itself. It's actually the end price too. So this could lead to some of the, um, the changes from the incipient inflation we've seen for a while to actually real type inflation. But Mr. Mayberry, as you said, too, we're not seeing the rates market have this inflationary fear yet. But as I you know, start to digest it, that 450 uh, if we do that both ways, I mean, th- that that could lead to really some recessionary effects globally. And so I think that's part of the thing you've seen in the marketplace is saying, look, if we're going tit for tat, we're going from 50 billion to an additional 200 billion on each side. And then we have our trading partners in Canada and Mexico who are probably going to retaliate. We'll have to see what this new administration in Mexico uh, does present and, and what the, the process is there. But effectively, this is a true trade war at this point. So you're calling it neutrality. I mean, you're like Switzerland today. You know, when you think about trade it, peace. Trade, trade peace, trade peace right. is where you it want to be. Seems like it's going towards trade war, though. <laughs> yeah, actually, right. so right. It's 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 neutral and downgrade to war risk on the trade side. It's pretty amazing too how much of a change it has in sentiment shift as well. Because when we first were talking at the beginning of this year, we were talking about the synchronous global growth story. And that seemed to be the theme, the, not the theme du jour, but theme the year. I, I can't speak French on, in that part. I don't know. I don't know. My yeah. friend, yeah. Uh, the I'm, I'm the more year. like in Latin, año, or no, it's still Espanol. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess yeah. I'll just sp- st- stick to American. I'll just say, uh, you know, theme of the year. But now it, it seems like in talking with people that the, the sentiment shifting to synchronous global recession as the possibility. I'm not sure if we're quite there yet. Again, I think a lot of this is noise and it depends on how it's going to play yeah, well, out. I mean, we've been talking with a lot of European investors and I mean, the most frustrated set of investors I've met are European fixed income managers, people that are buying in product. I mean, you want to talk about depressed. I mean, uh, they see no end in sight. And even though you're still seeing growth in the Eurozone, I mean, it's not that we have this negative growth there. It's just it's delivering below expectations, as you, as you mentioned, was very high expectations to set the year. So as you put it all together, it's a disappointment. It's expectations, but still growing. I think the bigger problem is you're actually starting to see inflation there. So HICP, which is the harmonized, I, I don't know what it stands for, yeah. but it's a Eurozone inflation. inflation. Yeah, it's something harmonized index of consumer prices, something to that effect. HICP is what it is. But what you find here is it's not just inflation that you see in the eurozone. You're seeing it due to the commodity side. And you mentioned early on as we kicked off energy prices. So here, here we get a reduction or an increase in output from OPEC or OPEC plus, as people are calling it this day. And here we have as WTI continuing to rally outside of, you know, obviously your trade war stuff today. But given the current levels of WTI, we can see the next print in the U.S. now, just given that year over year change in inflation to be you know, something over 3%. So you can actually see a three handle on CPI here in the US. And the bond market has it somewhat priced in on the tips market. When you get nominal yields, I mean, you have to believe the fact that this data rolls over. 30-year bond barely yields three today, right? I mean, so if you thought this was going to be persistent, that's a zero real yield at the, at the end of the day. Obviously, um, inflation is not constant for 30 years. 
But you start to see that, and it's not even spooking bond traders, but the idea that you see a three-handle yield, and you have these yields on the 10-year roughly 287-ish as we walked in here today, uh, really not selling off and being nervous about it. So uh, I do find it interesting, and maybe this is the push-pull effect, right? You've got the pull of rates going higher due to the inflation side, but you got the push because, look, maybe there is this global recession um, that's starting to become a real risk out there. Uh, however, ISM data today looks pretty dang strong here in the U.S. So can the U.S. survive, continue this trend? As you mentioned, the only one green in the in the equity markets globally, really, in the major markets in dollar terms. Can that trend continue as the U.S. being the leader? Or ultimately, do these policies really start to pull things down? Or do you get the the Fed believing this inflation story, continues to raise rates, the bond market says it's a temporary phenomenon, Fed inverts the curve, and all of a sudden you get, maybe you get a recession, maybe you don't, but you know the Fed is signaling that they believe inflation's here or the inflation's coming, so they need to continue to raise rates, whether it's two more times this year, two more times, three more times in 2019. Typically, there's a disconnect between the bond market and the Fed, or there has been, maybe not last year, but the pre- previous years of that. And, you know, it seems to be is the theme of this podcast the other way around this yeah, time. Right. Well, as I, you know, you look at it, too. Um, one thing we were saying, you were talking about the flattening the yield curve. Stree got that right. I think I predicted probably steepening the curve, thinking some of these inflationary effects would pull it back in. But, you know, when I think about it, Mr. Mnuchin, our Treasury Secretary, has really crushed me on that trade, too, for the fact that ultimately he can use the issue extremely short while the Fed hikes rates, which is really strange to me with a, such a flat curve. What are we at, like 32, 33 basis points today between twos, tens? And you start to look at that and you say, you know, why aren't we issuing more in the long end, right? I mean, locking that 3%. Right, the 3% guaranteed liability for the next 30 years. But that's something that we've been around on the road talking to folks, people coming to the office, is that the conundrum is why don't we issue more bonds out there? And, you know, I I think some of it could be because of the midterms, right? We don't want to have this um, perception that we're saddling future generations of debt. Maybe it's a talking point out there, again, for a political point. I, I'll still hold out and see, like, uh, there should there there could be some steepening. But I do think, ultimately, you know, right now, it, the trade wars are getting real. Uh, we're going to see more of that this week and think that that's the biggest conundrum the Fed faces. I tell folks, I'd love to see the market vol on Fed week, you know, a couple weeks back when the Fed met. Uh, instead of having, you know, we had the BTP crisis a few weeks earlier, Markets got calm again. Then Powell comes in with his cool self and just you know says everything's okay. Here's the points. The risk are to you know inflation to the upside. So I'd like to see a little bit of crisis so we can get a better read on him. The idea that we're going to get next year at each of the eight Fed meetings we're going to have press conference, I think, is a way of signaling that they want to try to communicate better and put more things in play. But the one thing I'll put out there, Sam, to you, being you're a bond expert, what do you think about the Fed this month going to get to the point where they're going to unwind up to $40 billion a month off their balance sheet? This should put some supply, more supply pressures on the marketplace in addition to our deficit spending. I mean, that's right. I mean, you've taken out, I mean, we've been talking about this for quite some time now. You're taking out a primary buyer you know, in, in this market, and we're taking it up 40, and it's going to get up to 50 by October. So, I mean, you're, you're seeing this come at the exa- pretty much the exact wrong time if everything is to be believed, and we are going down this this deficit spending path. I mean, we already started it with by cutting down, you know, the top line revenues from corporates and individuals. If the administration is able to get, you know, around to their infrastructure plan and, and start to get some of the spending around that, I mean, we could be in a world of hurt in terms of. Uh, but no, so, so Sam, you're you're you're, rea- you're actually spewing facts here. The issue is, is that 
Did you, did you not listen to the senior economic advisor sorry, last week? Sorry. What man, did Mr. Cudlow say? <laughs> the deficit, deficit is, is shrinking. Okay. I think he probably said something at a faster pace than ever before. It's the best deficit package <laughs> that we've ever had, right? Right. So it is quite amazing that, I mean, that's something that could be just refuted immediately. Also, revenues decreased, uh, you know, from the corporate taxes and individual income taxes going down is likely to decrease that more on the revenue side. But just look at the fiscal, you know, deficit that we're going to run here in addition to having to pay out all these bonds that are coming off the Fed's balance sheet, at least from the Treasury side of the equation. So 60% of that number of the Fed's balance sheet up to that number is what comes off of Treasuries, which goes directly into the deficit. So, um, Mr. Cudlow, please send us uh, your data set there. We'd love to look at it. But again, I I think this is uh, is one of those examples of trust but verify. We kind of start losing trust after a while. I mean, you've got to think too with just you know having the the U.S. step out as a as a buyer of the of this space. It, if we continue down this, if it actually goes to trade war and China stops exporting as much, we stop importing. That you got to think that the amount of treasuries that the the Chinese will be buying has to reduce as well, just because if they're getting that dollar and buying treasuries instead of selling it, you know. And, and the only thing, the only thing I would present is the case for some stability there is that trying to protect the RFX rate, right? So we saw that too, right? right? Because they had to liquidate the treasuries in 15 when they were defending their currency. They still probably want to have some amount of treasuries out there for that stability. But, you know, we've seen the Japanese step out over the last year, reduce their holdings. It's all about a currency hedge basis, right? This is just FX trading that's really dominating, I think, the Japanese view. It's not the the lack of trust and relationship, but it definitely is a challenging time. Mr. Mayberry, what do you think about the spread products here as we think about fixed income? So we talked about rates. We've seen some stabilization. I've referred to it as a change of center of gravity. Last year, we got down, you know, kind of 220, 250 is most of the trading range. You know, we got to the end of the year, pushed up here, 285-ish seems like the new center of gravity. Even on the rallies, all the kind of rhetoric out there, we never broke 270 again to the downside. So it's the 312 the top, as, as people say, in yields. And what does that mean for spread product at this stage? I think you can certainly make the case that 311, 312 on the 10-year, whatever, whatever it was, the close or, or, that's intra, the way, or that's, intraday, depending that's his, on... That's his kind way of saying you're wrong on 312 was 311. I, I read 311. Yeah, okay. Uh, but you're right. Through I read and listened to the your earlier podcast from this year, and there was a lot of talk of you got to break through 263 on the 10 year. That was the number. Then you're in a higher range, and we've seen that since then. We've seen that range hold, and I think that you're in this range. Whether you're in between 310 and 380 or 280, I got confused because I went backwards from high to low. <laughs> uh, the the Ooh, wait, buy low, so high, so low, so high, buy high. No, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Sam, so what did Sam did read this this uh, last week? And he read Howard Marks' latest quarterly letter, which which usually can be summarized by that these are lessons learned uh, there too. So uh, he's always trying to spit those pearls of wisdom back. But let's take it back to Mister Mayberry, two eighty to three ten. That's your range. And if, when we stay in that range, I think that you could get some decent GDP growth, no real recession coming on the horizon. I think if you you break down lower, then that's the bond market saying. Ooh, recession watch, recession warning. So if we're, if we're in this range, you know, you, you should be okay holding your your riskier fixed income, your your high yield, your senior secured loans, those types of sectors, at least for the medium term, you can consider holding because the, the recession is really what's going to hit those sectors hard. Right. Well, also, you know, uh, it is kind of interesting to see spread widening IG. High yield really hasn't had that this year. But also you got to think about you know, a lot of people assess, you know, the spread is the default probability. That's what we're all taught, taught in the pricing models. But I don't think the default probability has really increased right now. 
because of the corporate profitability, right? The debt service should be there assuming that you don't take all your profit and invest it back in the company or lever up while you're doing it. But from that interest coverage standpoint, you could argue that they're still in a better place. It's just the pricing got a bit better, right? So the, the assets are a lot cheaper today than they were, although still uh, from our own internal model, still uh, rich by historical standards. Well, I mean, if you look at it too, people buy yield. And so when you get a long duration asset, then rates rise, the spread is baked in there. But when you have a down 3% year to date, people are get that get scared of that. And so it's you don't have to get that much spread widening there, but just the absolute down 3% drives people out of that market. So I'll explain this to Sam. So Sam, when prices go down, yields go up and vice versa. So um, there's a relationship there too. I see it. And then there's the I whole spread. He, well, he obviously doesn't the read the Wall Street. You, you don't, you don't read the Wall Street Journal every day, obviously, because uh, uh, they explain uh, that every single article. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to one sector of the market we like for the year. We were calling for commodities. What happened there, Sam? You guys are my commodity guys too. What what happened within that space? Why are we looking at, at a down number right now when we're talking about you know a big performance in, in the crude oil complex? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the headwinds that the if you take a look at it, a broad basket basis is uh, the weakness that we've seen in the last month or so is coming from the tariff talk as well. And you saw agriculture sector take a big pounding, especially in, in the grain side. I think a lot of that was led by, like you said, the end product, or you know, perhaps in this case, it's just the, the raw input of soybeans being targeted by the Chinese. But with the correlation of soybeans to Kansas wheat and corn, those traded down in, in sympathy as well. So we saw about 8% drawdown in the matter of two weeks within the, the grain sector during as that period whole. of time, yeah, as a whole, right when the, the trade rhetoric really started to heat up. So we've seen a lot of weakness on, on that side, but the industrial metals too have seen some, some weakness going into this. It, it seems like it's, the story's a little bit tougher for a broad basket basis, but you still have that one loan holdout on energy, which really can drive some of the ups, potential upside here again. Yeah, well, I think also to, you know, being able to trade around it, doing things, you know, actively managed product, you know, uh, you can find stuff out there that's up for the year. A good managed product is that way right now. But a lot of people are presenting the idea that, oh, it's the dollar strength, but the dollar really hasn't moved a lot recently. I mean, that move came really in the middle of April. It's put a lot of pressure on EM, both the debt markets, the equity markets too. So, you know, the dollar strength, I don't think is really uh, something to blame the commodity complex. I, I actually think, you know, as you mentioned, the tariffs, it's that destruction of global demand. The fact that we're going to this, you know, trade war means it's nationalized. It's it's restricting global trade. I mean, you already see now on the on the immigration side, you're seeing these elections again. I think you know the Mexican election is another example of saying we want something different. We want this kind of extreme difference because what's happening today isn't working. And perhaps it was a way of trying to stand up to our administration. So let's talk about EM. EM has been a pain, pain place. You know, it's something that uh, we've been cautious on. We like the asset class as long as you did it kind of in a higher quality, lower duration manner. That has worked so far this year. Is it time to take risk, uh, Mr. Mayberry and EM? And if so, which side do you like? You like debt or equity? The charts look pretty ugly, uh, falling knife side. But uh, what's your call from here? I think that when you do look at ugly charts, the opportunist in us or in me says, hey, it's a buying opportunity. I don't know if we're there yet. I would like to see, at least on if you look on the debt side, I'd like to see it kind of slow down its negative trajectory a little bit before so adding on that derivative risk. effects. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. As you said, you don't want to try to catch the falling knife. If it's a good buy here, it'll be a good buy a little bit up higher, you know, let it bottom out. You know, I think that you look at, same with equity side is down six and a half percent so far this year. Seems like 
something something down six and a half percent. S and P is up two and a half. Maybe take a little bit off the S and P. Add it to some EM equities. Be a little a little mean reversion there. Yeah, I've seen some folks writing about it recently. I agree. I, I think it's the trader in us says like, hey. Let's wait for the technicals to improve a little bit. Long term, like you said, you're you know, if you're gonna step in the trade, what's a couple percent to at least see some stabilization? And maybe it's all predicated on this week and you know, do we really get into this full out trade war? So I completely agree with uh with your thoughts there. I mean, I think that you know, you do look at the trade war and I mean, at least from my from my seat, it still seems hard that we're gonna go down this path. It's it's negative for stocks. Before the trade rhetoric picked up, Trump was talking about the stock market every day, and now it's Talk, talk about trade stocks go down. It seems hard to fathom that we're going to go through with it. Right. Uh, you know. No, I mean, I, I still say the playbook is fade, whatever whatever they say in a hard stance. It's just tough when you're seeing the retaliatory effects. The problem I have is that attacking his personality and ego is a way to get him to actually do action. So, you know, we're going to have to see here. But I, I'm with you on that, that it's, it's going to be tough. One thing we haven't covered, Sam, and again, this is your expertise, is the ECB. What is going on with Mr. Draghi? Yeah, I mean, I think that really is the question, right? We have to see what happens. I mean, it seems like he's given us some indication and some guidance as to when he's going to finish the the tightening program. I think by September is when he really thinks that purchasing is going to go to zero at that point. I mean, we have to see what happens, what he does with, with rates. I mean, I, mean, I have uh, to say we were pretty disappointed around the desk, you know, thinking about it. The fact that, you know, look, the taper looked good. You're going from 30 billion euros a month that he's currently purchasing starting October through December will be 15 billion. And you're calling it tightening, which is correct. You know, um, again, uh, the fact that you're buying less, still buying. But at that point, the Fed, you know, right now, this month, we're set to completely offset more than their purchases. I think where our disappointment came from Draghi is that, like, we're not going to hike until at least next summer. I mean, that that was, I mean. That's a long period. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. The fact it's like, okay, it's good enough to unwind, but we have to wait at least six months or so. Again, assume he's talking about June. I don't know if it's 21 or 22 when the official summer day is, uh, but I can't expect it to happen just at the June meeting next year. And so obviously the sovereign market liked it in the Eurozone, but ultimately at some point that's got to be a pain trade when those yields start to go up. Uh, Do you think that Draghi just wants to kick the can until he's gone? Or do you think he can actually get a rate hike? Or does he do the, you know, kind of the Olay, like Mr. Bernanke did as he leaves? That's what I officially That's a nice call That's a little move right there that yeah. he did when you, you said guys, Olay, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a fade left. <laughs> I mean, you probably, you probably saw Yellen get out at the top, top. Right. And he's like, I got to try to do that, too. Well, I was he's waiting too long, though. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Bernanke. So, like, Bernanke did it. If you recall, he got the first rate hike in before he left. Yellen got the unwind done. She left on the top of markets, as you said. I was telling folks, you know, I think the playbook that Draghi should do, and again, this is why I'm not a central banker, you know, you do the taper, you say, look, March, we're going to hike 20 basis points. We take it from negative 40 to 20. We close the gap 20 basis points. And as people said in the U.S., what's 20 basis points, right? Like if the market, if the economy is going to die or 20 basis points, we're in trouble anyway. So you do that. Then you wait the six months and then you do exactly that. Again, I'll show you the move, the Olay. Right. You hand it off to the next person. You're at zero. You say, look, I'm not buying bonds. Interest is zero. I've hiked. 
You're welcome. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the ECB at the 20 basis points still puts them in negative territory too. So it's right. It would be negative incredible. 20. Yeah, correct? right. Yeah, negative so 40. I guess in the US, well, right I guess in the US we'd call that zero lower bound still, though, right? <laughs> right. But uh, I mean, you're talking about the push and pull earlier, right? Once he unleashes the hounds on these rates, you've got to figure it's going to have some kind of impact on US rates as well. Yeah, you know, upward pressure there. Well, and that was kind of our call coming in the year is that as people step out of the markets, you know, there's more supply of bonds out there, and ultimately at some point they have to move. I guess they don't have to, but at some point for the long run, they need to do so. And it will have that. But the question is, if we do this trade war type of thing, I think that's really what's really concerned a lot of markets right now, because this could really be this exogenous effect that kind of creeps in the market. That's when we talk about bull markets turning to bear markets, right? It's usually some form of buildup, but it's that exogenous shock that really shocks that buildup component. So what is the overall impact on the markets today? Not positive. It's not positive. So with that, being a bunch of bond guys, being all negative as we go on the, the second business day of the year. Opportunities. Yeah. Opportunities. <laughs> opportunities. Yeah. Sam was working all night last night. So let's talk about the second half. What do you guys think? If we're trying to forecast here, what do you guys like the best? Uh, as we look at the second half of the year, let's get short-termism. Let's talk about the next six months. Build in your, your thinking of trade war, trade peace, whatever happens. What do you like the best here? I got to say, I still like commodities. I mean, I think the entry point still is somewhat attractive. There's been a little bit of volatility. Um, again, I'll point out really the beginning part of June is when we saw it. And that's where we saw the drawdown right around the the noise around trade tariffs. So if Mr. Mayberry is right and we actually don't go down the path to, to full-blown trade war, I think this would be a good opportunity in that the growth story is still there. So to to the listeners out there, you should learn from what Mr. Lau did there. If you're ever going to make a forecast, make sure you make it and then it's predicated on someone else's <laughs> assumption, not even one's own. So that was very clever there. Um, and that's why uh, Mr. Lau is one of our best forecasters around here. He said, oh, the supposition wasn't true. How could the conclusion be true? So- Mr. Mayberry, what do you say? I think that you, you know, on the fixed income side, still like the floating rate bank loan market. Fed hikes, call it two more times this year. Again, in, in 2019, those LIBOR-based assets, you know, they, they yield, what, five and a half today, 6%, something like that. And that, in that range, that's a real yield. You, you can lock in 6% with some upside as rates rise and no recession, which in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months or so, call it. At least you you can lock in that that rate or that yield for the next six months and then reevaluate in the next podcast in uh, early January. <laughs> and I would think uh, you know with that advocation of uh, bank loans, there's some input in terms of our view on credit risk as well. Probably that's somewhat benign, you know, maybe absent the recessionary type of event. Well, we just well. talked about we just talked about interest coverage, right? Too. So I mean, it's healthy out there. Your senior and capital structure to high yield, at least the relative value between that and high yield looks pretty strong today. I agree with you. I like your commodity trade. You know, I'm gonna take some EM here too. I'm gonna take something else too. But I completely agree. The the trader in me says stability first. Looks like the falling knife out there. Let it get some stabilization, especially in the bond market too. Again, probably the next step low still is in the dollar. It's, it's downward in the dollar. We still think that. And so I think that it becomes not a headwind to that side. So I like that side of the market too. Again, for our long-term people, same thing on EM equities, especially as uh, Mayberry told us, you know, S&P up, you have some of those dollar assets. You think about asset allocation, just call it a rebalance a little bit. But I'd, I'd wait for a little bit of those moves to at least stabilize before you stepped into that. So what are the things you're hearing out there from clients, Sam, and, and as you talk to people 
as you call it, thoughts from the road, even though sometimes yeah. you're sitting at your desk doing it. What, what you know, what, what, what do you, it's what do you, what, I, I see thoughts on the road, but I, question, I questions yeah. from the road. Yeah. That's just stuff I uh, make mental note of when I'm on the road. Yeah, if and, you ever uh, read that, if week. you ever read Sam's outlines of these things, there's, there's no details and they're, they're kind of in <laughs> gibberish too, but questions from the road. I don't even know what that means, but uh, I'm, it's wait, in I'm waiting to hear. So that's why, that's why it's in quotes. So anyway, so I was on the road last week and, you know, and speaking with some, some prospects there, one of the questions that they had that was uh, true across a, a few of the people that I met was, is the Fed behind the curve? That was one. And But then there's also the other way around, bro, question from some other people that I met asking, is the Fed overdoing it? Meaning, are they doing too much too fast? So, I mean, what's the thoughts around that? Well, I'll start. Fast and Furious, you know, successful fast franchise, but I'd not call this Fast and Furious from the Fed. That's a lot of Fs in there. What happens when you have four Fs? Is it still alliterative? Is it double alliteration? Ah, anyway, we're not grammatical gurus. But the thing is, is that the Fed is going to use this data set to continue the path. I mean, moving every quarter is not old school fast. It used to be every meeting. This is the, the new world here where it's quarterly type of hikes. I think they do it till the data set breaks. And so I don't think that if you have some small misprints there that are slightly below their targets, we're going to see them really pull back. Uh, it will be curious to see if this vol continues. We have this trade war talk for the next couple of months, how the Fed's reaction function is in September. But at this stage, I don't think there's any reason to derail them from continuing the hiking. So I don't think they're behind the curve. I think they're on this trajectory to continue to push rates up. And our data set is strong enough to do it at this stage. The biggest thing they could do is, is put too much strength on the dollar. But as you look at the bond market, it's got like one and a half more hikes priced in. So that second hike could easily get priced in the market very quickly. So I don't think they're behind the curve. You know, I've heard kind of the other question, too, that, you know, what you see is that the yield curve is flattening. So is this a recession indicator or something different going on? And we've always said that anytime it goes through 50, it ends up going through zero. It's not a linear trend. It's starting to feel a little linear as of late. But you've seen kind of the front of the curve kind of back off just a little bit. But we got another two and a half months before the Fed meets for that kind of next to get there. So I think there's a lot more to read into that. Yeah, it puts us on watch for a recession, but nothing is imminent at this stage. So I, I think the U.S. economy is somewhat healthy. The good news of the downward GDP revision going from 2.2 down to 2 now is that, you know, when you look at it, it was, it was a lot of inventory buildups and the like. So that gives us more fodder for second quarter GDP. You know, so the year over year numbers should look quite strong still. And you tack on that inflation thing. I mean, I think the Fed is probably on pace just to continue doing what they're doing. I'm still concerned about doing that simultaneously with the balance sheet unwind. I think that's the bigger risk. But I still think that Mnuchin can change that in a heartbeat. You had this firepower, right? You're winding, unwinding the balance sheet. Uh, you know, 60% that's treasuries each month. Those have to be paid off by reissuing debt. And simultaneously, you're running a massive fiscal deficit. He has the firepower to steepen the curve. If he wants to, he can target a part. You know, a lot of people have said that he doesn't target the 10s because that's tied in the housing market. But at the end of the day, the market's going to overrule exactly how he's issuing. But you could definitely change that dynamics. So in short, it's nothing to be concerned about yet. It's something to keep on your screens, keep looking at, but look at the behavior. Is it coming from the back end? You know, is it the bear market flattener? Is it the bull flattener? Thus far, you know, it's kind of been a combination of the two, but it's really the front end moving. So it still doesn't change our recession watch unless, you know, Mr. Mayberry's forecast, since we're all going to rely on that now is our, is our indicator, unless his forecast is wrong. 
time will tell. So as we said, we'll revisit in six months and let you know how Mr. I guess Mayberry's we'll, I guess we'll know. Go. If I'm invited back, then I was probably right. If I'm not, then uh, you'll still no, be invited back. Yeah. You'll still be invited back. <laughs> Depends on if we actually find anybody to do this podcast with us anymore. He's the new host, but co-host, by the yeah. way. So Yeah. So, okay. What What is the biggest risk you see outside of trade war? Yeah, I started saying it last year. I think it's Twitter risk, and I just put that as administration risk, Trump risk, and just you know putting out his views a little bit with you know half cocked. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw early on in in the Trump presidency, people kind of saw his Twitter feed, and the markets didn't react. And as maybe it's just as people became more comfortable with how he's acting and how he's twittering, that twittering the mark twittering that's the verb. Okay. We can look it up later. It's a, you know, the the market is reacting to the Twitter. And so you're kind of in a different regime now where, you know, what he tweets is affecting the markets versus early on. How do you like you use like that get off my lawn type of thing? You're like how people respond to the Twitter. (laughs) You know, I just say it was like, I thought it was pretty good. So, all right. So enough of this, you know, pretty much recap here. You know, we're going to take victory. We got something right for the year. Uh, We'll call it that. Again, the idea here was to risk manage for the year. Uh, if you go back to you know some of the the things we were talking about coming in the year, unfortunately they played out to a bit of fruition where you've seen some pain in the bond market. But remember, when yields go up, even though prices go down, Sam, that means that you reinvest at higher yields too. And so that's been a good strategy for actively managed funds being able to do that this year. So again, still taking care of the assets out there, still really taking a look at uh, where the risks are. And you know, at least we're buying things to higher yields today. It looks it looks pretty mo- much more attractive than it did at the beginning of the year. So. Uh, with that, I'm going to transition. I beat up on Sam today with all his views and his his academic knowledge of bond prices. So I'm going to do him a favor and go to his favorite part of the show. Unfortunately, though, since he's participating in the webcast uh, podcast today, that means that he doesn't get to ask the question. So we have a returning guest, Sherman Says person today, Allison Pfeiffer. Welcome, Allison. Hi, hi. Oh, that's a good permutation there. You know, you're not going to replace his job because he wants to be replaced. That's why he's trying to do this. So we're not going <laughs> to let him. But Allison's going to explain the rules as Sherman says. I think we're going to do it in what, a three man weave today? Since yep. we have three of us here? Three man or I could weave. just sit out and you guys yeah. can do it. Yeah, see, once again, no, you I've have to. I planned it as it. a three man weave. Well, it's so. not really a weave, though, right? We're just going to rotate. Yeah, I guess so in the weave. A weave is going to be very difficult <laughs> very, to pull yeah, off. Yeah, we won't be able we'll, to follow we'll, the direction. We'll keep a loop. We'll something simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just do a, a closed circuit loop. Whoever yells it loudest wins. So you guys know how the game works? Yeah, maybe you should explain it to the audience for our first time listeners. Well, for Sherman Says, we're going to ask a word or a phrase, and you need to have a one-word answer. As we know historically in the history of the Sherman Show, it's been very difficult to have a one-word answer, but do your best. You know, the first thing that comes to your mind, Sherman, I'm going to go to you first and then Lau second and then Mayberry third. And we'll just keep going in that order. So All are, right. you, are you ready to play? Uh, as ready as we're going to be. <laughs> Let's go. And okay. thanks, Allison, for uh, participating with us again today. Anytime. Anytime, Lau. <laughs> okay. Sherman, you're first. All right. Trade war. No. <laughs> Commodities. Good. S&P 500. Bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, That's can, my can, word. Can I, can, I, can I change my answer to ugly since we had good, bad, and ugly? Because no. Yes. Okay. So yes. so uh, re- rewind that, everyone. I didn't say no. I said ugly, and we did it in the wrong order. Okay. Okay. German Bund. Rich. U.S. dollar. Weaker. Inflation. Going higher. Supreme Court. Just a big sigh. <laughs> <What>? Future. <laughs> 
our future. <laughs> China. Skeptical. Tesla. Ooh, well, oh man, they came out with their numbers today. Overvalued. I like skeptical again on that one too. Yeah. Yeah. MLB playoff prediction. Giants. Have you seen the winning streak in June? <laughs> Sweeping the Diamondbacks over the weekend. Yeah, they're poised to play, getting the two horses back, Cueto and, and the Shark. We're ready. That's how I play with them. We're ready. They're ready. LeBron James. Ugh. Horrible. Come on, Lakers. Horrible. It's Lake Show, man. Horrible, man. Ugh. Incorrect answer. Oh, okay. Only, only loud can <laughs> yeah. hate him having the best player in a league on your home team here. Yeah. Okay. World Cup. Brazil. Central Banks. Moral Hazard. Draghi. Out. GDP. Lower. Favorite summer vacation spot. But summer, you know, we live in we live in good weather. That's the problem. Hawaii. Favorite meal. Prime rib. Favorite you, you band. Sherman what his <laughs> least favorite meal is. Yeah. Yeah. Prime rib. I, I think the worst steak invented ever outside of like skirt steak is prime rib. It's not by the steak, way. man. And it's controversial. It's a roast. Together, don't right. It's, it's a called roast. roast that they try to change to sell it to you as steak where your parents cooked it for like nine hours in the oven. Yeah. That is more than one word. Okay. <laughs> but it summarizes the feelings appropriately. <laughs> favorite band. Ooh, red Hot well, Chili Peppers. It's not the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. And I got to say the Luxembourg Signal. Ah, uh, oh. I, I thought it would have been Weezer. You know? was, uh, yeah. Someone <laughs> listens to this podcast that, that might be offended. That's if my I don't favorite say band Luxembourg too. Signal. Nice. Yeah, that loses its validity when you <laughs> suck up afterwards. You know, wage growth, constant. Fed funds, up. Corporate bonds, long duration. Twos tens, steeper. Tariffs, uh, noise. Hmm. Crossing his fingers on that yeah. one. Deficit. Rising. Notable election. Midterm. British pub. My favorite? Which one? Britannia, I guess, here in the U.S. Or all of the above in in, uh, London. Beer. Going off of that, I'm going cask ale. All right. The warmest beer known to man. Still kind of strange. All right. Well, thanks, anyone. We had a good time going through this. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Give us some feedback, too. We like these target market segments. Maybe we'll do them a little more frequently, too. Uh, to get out there if you guys like the views too. But we'll return uh, next time to our typical uh, podcast schedule where we interview some external guests. And so if you have any other guests out there you'd like us, please hit us up at shermanshow at doubleline.com. Again, one word, shermanshow at doubleline.com for feedback. Uh, You can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and uh, wherever other podcasts are hosted. So thanks again for listening and uh, tune in a couple weeks for our next guest. The audio presentation represents Double Line's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of Double Line. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Double Line, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither Double Line nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including and respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Double Line is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Double Line entity or individual to that listener. 
nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2018, Double Line Capital.